0: Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors with your host True Kirby. Hey,
1: this is Luke Holmes. I am Morgan Wallen. I'm Riley Green. I'm
0: Travis Denning. Hey, I'm Aaron
1: Lewis.
2: Hey, it's Luke Bryan. I'm Tim
0: McGraw. What's up? This is Ian Munsick. Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. One of our favorite times of the year is finally here. Obviously, summer is starting to uh, wind down, and Janet. I've seen a lot of folks getting geared up to head out on their hunts this year.
3: Oh, you know, fall is such a great time in Wyoming for many reasons. It is just so fun to be out. And, and I think a lot of the seasons that are starting to open, namely archery, you know, the season is thoroughly enjoyed by all of our archer hunters. And like you said, though, it is time to start getting ready, do some practicing, make sure you have all the appropriate licenses and you're ready to get out there and enjoy the hunt.
0: August 15th is when archery season opens for antelope. And Brian, it's a great time to have everything organized and ready to go so that you're not waiting until the last minute. If you're not in the mood
4: for hunting, you will be now because some of your friends are going to go out there and do their their archery for antelope, but also do the scouting and all that kind of stuff that they love to do. Just all those reminders about getting your equipment ready. Maybe it's a good time to sight in your rifle. Um, maybe it's a good time to uh, start practicing with your bow before you actually go out bow hunting. Uh, make sure you get your arrows all set up and balanced and all that kind of stuff. And uh, like say, if you're out there scouting and stuff, make sure you're on public land. And um, if you're going to hunt on or scout on private land, make sure you have permission to, uh, to be on that too. So just a lot of different things that are coming up now. And if you haven't thought about getting ready now is, is kind of probably a good time to start.
0: Obviously, one of the important parts is having your license, having your access permission and having it all together so that A, you're not scrambling and B, you know what you're doing.
3: That's the easy stuff, right? You get permission and you get written permission from the landowner if you are on private land. Pretty easy, simple, get a signature that says, yes, I gave you permission to hunt antelope on my property For 2023, not a difficult not a difficult thing to do, but people often forget to get that. So don't forget it. There's also um, instructions on how to fill out a carcass coupon. So make sure that you correctly notch that um, at the site of the kill. It's not something that you can do when you get home a little bit later. You know, if if you um, are lucky and you harvest an animal, make sure that you fill that out. You notch the date. You sign it. and and do it appropriately because those are some of the top 10 hunting violations right there and it's not difficult to do.
4: Drew probably the other thing is is a good time to maybe take your license out of the envelope <laughs> um I know you've got all antelope are limited quota licenses I don't think we had very many left over so everybody got them in the mail so it's a good time to open that envelope and look at the hunt area that it you actually drew Um, there's one part in the upper left-hand corner of the license that you have to sign to make it valid. And then you're ready to hunt. The bottom part, of course, is the carcass coupon that Janet was talking about. the upper right-hand corner is the landowner coupon. So it's one of those things where make sure you read through all that kind of stuff. Make sure that you know what day your hunting season opens this year. Remember that some of the license, uh, licenses were, you know, cut because of the bad winter and and maybe some season dates change too because of that also. So it's now is a good time to open up all those regulations and things like that. And if you're looking for a regulation, you don't want to do it online, you can stop by the game fish office or give us a call. We might even mail them to you if you would like one. So because we do have those regulations in printed form this year. And last year, we didn't get them till later. So that's one part of getting ready for hunting that we just don't really think about.
0: Obviously, having knowledge of where you're hunting is important. It's an important part. You just mentioned to make sure you know your hunt area and, you know, make sure that it's right on your license. What happens in a situation where if you're hunting in one hunt area and you cross the line into another, say elk? you're hunting Area 7 and you cross over into Area 19. What kind of a situation does that turn into for you if you happen to harvest an animal in the wrong
4: area? I mean, that's a good analogy because, you know, that's part of getting ready for the hunting season and knowing your your boundaries. So if you have a Hunt Area 7 elk license, uh, you're not allowed to hunt in Area 19. Um, if you wound one and it goes across there, I mean you can certainly pursue that as long as like you're on public land or if you have permission, things like that, to retrieve that game. But if you happen to harvest that animal in the wrong area, um, you know, it really comes down to your ethics and, um, you know, letting us know that that's what happened um, is probably the best thing to do. But like I say, it's one of those things where you need to prepare for that before it happens and uh, make sure that you're not put in a situation where it uh, puts you where you're in the wrong area after you've harvested an animal.
0: When people are, and I know Janet, we we talk about ethics a lot. What are some some ideas that are thoughts that people need to kind of keep in their mind when they are out archery hunting, I mean, because you're not looking for the the blaze orange. Your things are a little bit different between archery and, and rifle.
3: One of the big things is knowing your own boundaries as far as your own strengths and weaknesses, and and really recognizing those. Um, you know that there, there's a lot of folks out there that don't enjoy. Archery hunters, because they feel like the wounded loss of of the animals that people shoot at is is much greater than, say, using a rifle. And so I think to to help mitigate a lot of that is knowing your own strengths and weaknesses and, and using your ethics to make good, clean shots. I mean, it can be very exhilarating to, you know, stalk. Um, an animal and get so close and whether you choose to just watch it at that point or if you choose to harvest it you know those are those all come into your own personal ethics but but I think more than anything self-awareness is a pretty big picture there for archery hunters.
0: Brian is the process of harvesting archery or harvesting rifle any different or is the process exactly the same? No, everything's the same.
4: I mean, first off, I mean, you're really excited and all that kind of stuff. It's it's a, it's a time when people really forget what they need to do, you know, after they have an animal down, down especially archery hunting. So archery hunting is a lot more challenging. Um, you know, success rates are a lot lower. So, you know, harvesting something with your archery equipment is, is a really big deal. So taking that carcass coupon off, signing it and not take the, you know, cut out the notches for the date that you harvested so you have all that done and then you get into the process of uh you know field dressing it um getting the skin off you know the hide off and actually getting it cooled off you know because it is pretty warm weather right now and getting that cooled off so you don't have you know wasting that meat so you one of the other things that you think about being prepared is if you're hunting when it's these kind of temperatures that we have now in the morning, it might be cool, but boy, if you harvest something, it doesn't take long for it, get, you know, things can spoil. So you can actually get that animal out of, the, out of the field and get it cooled down right away, which I think is extremely important during the archery season this early in the year.
0: We talk about antelope archery starts on the 15th of August, then two weeks later on September 1st, in some areas, some days, some areas it's September 15th. That's when elk archery opens up. And then you get to October, and that's when rifle season opens up for a lot of these. Um, if I have a rifle-only license, but I want to use my compound bow, can I do that in, in rifle season? Oh, that's a good question.
4: So, yes, you can, you can archery use your archery equipment during the rifle season, but then you have to remember that during the rifle season, you have to have fluorescent orange on. So that is the difference. And, uh, like say when you're hunting during the archery season, not only do you need your license, but you also need to buy a archery permit. So you can buy that over the counter, you can buy it online. And they even have a lifetime archery license now too. So make sure you get that during the archery season. So your license is good for hunting during the rifle season and during the archery season. So you need to, unless you have a special license that only permits you to hunt during the archery season, Drew, cause some of those areas like for elk, are archery only uh the closest ones around here are in the Bighorns, and they're highly sought off their licenses so for those you know you're you're only going to be able to hunt during the archery season but for the majority of the the folks out there um you can do both
3: i also want to remind folks about the hunter orange or hunter fluorescent pink um requirements so as an archery hunter during Archery season, you do not need to wear those. But if you are heading out during a rifle season, you do need to have that on. Um, being safe is always a big part of it. But don't forget law versus not during the different seasons.
0: How much orange do you actually have to have? You mentioned just a hat. Is that perfect, or do you need a hat and a, a vest or a vest? It's it's a hat, a vest, or a coat, and it can be
4: of fluorescent orange or fluorescent pink, and it can be in camo. Um, fluorescent orange or fluorescent pink. So it's one. It's an or, so one of those um, items of clothing you have to wear during the rifle season.
0: And Brian, very quickly before we let you guys go today, what about crossbows? Can they be used in archery and rifle season?
4: Yes, that's correct. Uh, uh, crossbow is considered archery equipment. So if you're going to hunt during the archery season, you have to have an archery permit for that. So in Wyoming, it's considered archery equipment. So the same if you're going to use it during the rifle season. Um, you would need to wear fluorescent orange or pink um, when you're hunting uh, with a crossbow during the rifle season.
0: Well, obviously you can go to wgfd.yo.gov. Find out about the proper times when your seasons come in, just so you don't get confused because a lot of different uh, areas and a lot of different start dates.
3: A lot of changes this year, thanks to the winner of 2020.
0: It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. Hey, it's Drew and Brian at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. And Brian, we're uh, to a point now where summer... Is here a day and it's gone a day, but we've been getting a lot of rain and we've been talking about that for two or three months now. Where, uh, kind of an odd year, but doesn't mean that it, you can't get out and do things in the outdoors,
1: yeah. You know, it's um kind of early, but it kind of feels like fall, you know, that we had a little bit cooler weather, you know, we're not hitting those 90 and 100 mm-hmm. degree temperatures and. Boy, it just makes a guy think that those elk are going to start screaming here pretty soon. And before long,
0: we're all going to be out in the field uh, chasing critters. Yeah, um, I, I was just talking to someone the other day talking about getting ready to go on an antelope hunt. Mm-hmm. They do it every year. It's kind of a family ordeal. And, you know, you want to make sure that you guys are all prepared. You don't want to get everybody out there and be missing something.
1: Yeah, you know, in, in this part of the country, uh, down, I think, Platte County even got an early elk season on private ground. You know, I think it's a cow only, but, you know, August 15th starts um, a lot of our archery antelope and then
0: uh, even some uh, rifle elk in private land. So we're talking just a, literally a, a few days before we get this uh, puppy underway. And right. So if you're going to go out and, and do a long trip, if you're going in the backcountry, you're going to do a long hunt, mm-hmm. you got to have every supply you can think of that you can haul and obviously things are getting smaller as time goes by because uh you know the way that they've figured out technology and started working on some different patterns and and materials so coming into rocky mountain discount sports really a good idea to see what's the latest and greatest is when it comes to that backcountry camping
1: yeah, and we've been talking about this for a while, but, you know, obviously a good pair of boots, good pair of socks, you know, look at the packs where, you know, we've got uh, all the Mystery Ranch, we've got Badlands, we're bringing in uh, Stone Glacier should be here any day. Um, then you, if you start looking at your food and water sources, you know, life straws, you got jet boils, you got your mountain house foods, you got peak refuel. There's a lot of that stuff that, you know, a person kind of just wants to kind of prep and be ready for to make sure that you can spend that quality time in the field uh, and not have to you know, worry about whether it's going to rain or where my next meal is coming from.
0: Last weekend, uh, obviously, a bear trap happened up on Casper Mountain and rain and slop and, and mess. <laughs> what kind of boots should you really look at if you're going to go out and, and be in the elements? I still kind
1: of like a lightweight, you know, Danner, whether whether you go with like one of their, I guess, hybrids. It's kind of got the leather and the nylon. Or if you just go with a straight nylon, the, the leather boots obviously offer you a little more protection. You can get those waterproofed pretty well. But, you know, a lot of times, you know, those those boots have some insulation. And then for the early part of the season, we don't necessarily need insulation because we're always on the move. So you got to have a couple different pairs and de- kind of depending on the weather. I like wearing a, a nice pair of uh, Danner leather boots. But They seem pretty versatile year round. I, I do a, a lightweight, you know, like a 400 gram uh, insulation on them. My feet don't tend to get too hot, and wearing a good pair of socks that wicks away the moisture gives you a nice, comfortable, good good uh, ankle support. You know, that's just kind of the, the way I go, but, I mean, everybody's a little bit different there.
0: When you go into a situation like that, say you're, you're you know, at the Southern Bighorns, and you're just glassing a long way, and you know that you're not going to be staying in, mm-hmm. so you get a day pack. What are you carrying in that pack just to, you know, kind of make sure that you're taken care of for the day? I
1: usually carry obviously knife, my rangefinder, my my binoculars, Um, I carry uh, kind of an emergency like fire starting kit, Uh, I might carry a lightweight tarp, I carry quite a bit of paracord so that if I'm trying to gut an animal by myself I can spread the legs hopefully and you know get them spread out if I sometimes those are pretty hard to kind of hold. Game bags, flashlight in case you get stuck out there Maybe a headlamp is always helpful, especially if you're going in dark or coming out dark. I, I do pack water in, but it's nice to have the life straw in case you're there for a day or two and you uh, need to replenish that uh, camelback. Sometimes I'll carry some marking tape, you know, extra shells. I mean, kind of go through the gamut and then start weeding out what you maybe you don't need.
0: Right. Well, and that's one of the, the important things about being prepared. You know, it's not a great idea to just jump in the truck. and and go and not even think about it. And that's what the benefit of coming into Rocky Mountain Discount Sports is. You know, if you don't have an idea of what to put in that pack, then you guys have shelves and shelves lined with those items that you're going to need. I've kind of
1: whittled down even like from a knife standpoint. You know a lot of times we used to always carry in a knife sharpener. Well anymore with the Outdoor Edge or the Havalon knives they've all got replaceable blades. They can obviously be resharpened but when you've got you know a sheath that's got a knife with a couple extra blades on it you're set. So now you've cut back on whether or not you need a knife sharpener.
0: One of the things that that is always a good idea is to get your pack put what you're going to use in it or what you want to have in it and wear it around right, right? you got to know exactly how the feel is
1: funny story is when i first moved into the neighborhood that i'm at a package got misdelivered to one of my neighbor's houses so i'm knocking on doors hey you know did you happen to get this package and my neighbor answered the door and he's carrying it's about this time of year he's carrying a pack on his back. He's sweating down. As he opens his door up, I'm like, what in the world are you doing? He goes, getting ready for elk season. I got my pack loaded, and I'm going up and down my stairs, you know, and just getting his knees and body oh, yeah. in shape. And he was, he's the type of guy that hunts the the backcountry, the hobacks, and he's packing in for multiple days. So he was just kind of getting in shape. and. Not gonna say it was a bad idea. I'm not gonna do it, but <laughs> but you know, making sure that uh, you know things fit properly, even on yeah. ba- on packs. You know, when you when you get the right pack, and you can you know get the right belt size, and where it's taking some of that weight off your shoulders makes a huge difference
0: we've been talking about packs and being ready and you know making sure that you have what you need if you don't know come into rocky mountain discount sports and they'll get you hooked up it's wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors welcome back it's drew and brian here at rocky mountain discount sports and uh, brian we talked a lot about hunting right there you know we're to that point but you can't forget fishing. We're still in August, so you know the summer fish is still happening. Summer is eventually going to be here. I, 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 <laughs> I promise you, it'll eventually <laughs> be here. You know, It's funny. One of the first things that you ever said to me was, "You can never let the weather predict what you're going to do." When you can't predict the weather, that's a good philosophy to have because I, this craziness, the afternoon thunderstorms, kind of coming in and rolling in you can see it coming from a long way away and i think it's deterring a lot of people from
1: yeah you know and a person just has to be prepared and has to you know not be dumb right i mean we when you see those that thunderstorm coming through it's best to get off the lake you know i I talked to a guy a couple weeks ago that uh had a real near fatal accident up at pathfinder you know he's in a a smaller boat and a lower profile boat and uh The water came up over the back end of the boat and couldn't get the plugs pulled and ended up, you know, just basically capsizing it, you know, Mm. I mean, was able to get himself off, but uh, pretty, pretty scary situations, especially on, you know, some of those bigger bodies of water like Pathfinder where the, the, when the wind kicks up, you know, that thing starts rolling pretty good. And, you know, I've seen six, seven footers out there and that's no joke. I mean, you you best to, if you can't get off the water, get to shore in a non windy side and just beach it and. Hope it settles down in a couple hours.
0: Yeah, I, it, it definitely is uh, frightening to be out on the water when you're in that situation. But, you know, you, again, can't let it deter you if the thought of that. And right. when I was up at Pathfinder a couple of weeks ago, we kind of went around and toured a lot of the, the lake and just kind of checked it out. And there's a lot of lake that a lot of people may not even... Go back and adventure to that means there's a lot of fishing that's still out there that's maybe unmanned.
1: Yeah, the Pathfinder. I don't know. It's like the second biggest body of water in the state, and uh, there's a lot to see. There's a lot to do. There's lots of ways to fish that lake from the marina. I mean, it's about a twenty mile boat ride uh, straight up to like the Miracle Mile, you know. And when you can get up to that river through that river channel, it's a it's a lot of, a lot of lake. You know, it's not quite as high as to kind of get you there now but uh with a big boat you know you can it, it's i think it's right at 20 miles that means
0: there's a lot of fish to catch there too
1: this next year I ought to produce some really good quality fish especially if they keep getting water put into it um you know what they when that water comes up and the the forage and the uh starts growing and has more places for bugs and and you know little little fish to to hide you know guys are catching fish now i mean if you just want to go out to Pathfinder and just catch fish you know it's great for the kids. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of small fish, and you know we've we've seen a I'll come across Facebook a couple of times where there's been a couple of thirty-two inch
0: fish caught. So yeah, so you know get out and and check out Pathfinder's great alcova. That's a, a fun lake to go out on because you mm-hmm. can catch a, a variety of different fish, and uh, obviously the river runs right through Casper, and then we get to to Glendo where you know the water's still going down pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I think. They're trying to go for just a little bit more, and then maybe hold it steady.
1: This is that time of year where Nebraska starts calling for water to, you know, start uh, irrigating, and you know it's it's pretty dry. You know, the further east you go, we were talking uh, just the other night that you know the Castro Mountain hasn't
0: looked this green in August for a number of years. So we know that it's it's a difficult bite what are you going out with when you're hitting the water let's say you're starting at seven o'clock in the morning you know how are you fishing that
1: well i tend to fish how i like to fish which you know is usually putting a jig in my hand and and trying to catch them you know on on some type of a jig presentation and I uh, talked to some guys up at Alcova they had been really good with just a jig and a minnow. That's kind of interesting to me this late in the year. Everything seems late, yet at the same time with as much water as dropped down, um, the troll bite uh, has been pretty good for guys. And then um, I've been catching quite a few on spoons,
0: spoons and jigging wraps. The change in fishing that we've talked about all spring and then early part of what we're calling summer. You know, it's finally here that we thought it was going to be a month ago that that was going to be.
1: Yeah, you know, I think with natural lakes, which, you know, we don't have a whole lot of, you know, in our off, off our plat system, but the natural lakes tend to fish... Uh, more patterns based on time of year and water temperature. Reservoirs, because of how much they fluctuate in elevation, they tend to fish more based on how the water level is as to more so than what the temperature is. So when the water's high, again, we now tend to fish a lot more shallow. And I think there's still fish shallow in those reservoirs that have a lot of weeds like Lendo. We're focusing more on, on the sand, sandy beaches, uh, some, of, some of the main lake uh, points and then just some of the basin kind of stuff. Pathfinder, same way. You know, a lot of sand, uh, Water's holding pretty good uh, elevation-wise. But you know, now the troll bike tends to kick in because you can cover a little bit more
0: water and search for those big fish. So this week obviously is uh, kind of a, a relax and get ready for the big week next week with. The uh, Wyoming Walleye Stampede, where you'll go to another lake, mm-hmm. which is Boison, and, you know, that's going to be different, because the water levels there are not like they are in Glendo either.
1: Nope, so that, uh, going to, is our championship, our fourth stop of the year, and our last one, the big hurrah, and, uh... Yeah, they still got a bunch of water going in there. You know, it was flooded up into, I don't know, 15, 20 percent and taking out campgrounds and all kinds of stuff. And they got it back down to 100 percent. Then they started getting a bunch of rain. The lake was starting to settle out and starting to kind of calm down a little bit. And uh, then with all this rain, all those small streams and tributaries that were feeding back in there muddied the darn thing back up. Uh, I think this next week we'll start seeing the Hopefully the weather pattern's calming down a little bit, maybe a little bit less rain. Hopefully the mud lines, you know, kind of settle down and and everybody can kind of get back to to fishing a little bit more of the lake than uh, what what they're doing now.
0: The weather's saying that we may have a couple of dry weeks that will play a big part of that. But as the dry comes in, the heat comes right with it. Mm -hmm. So then you don't want to stress the fish out again, which normally we're not talking about that in August. It's usually a June, July so it really is just kind of a whacked out here.
1: Yeah, you know, fortunately for our, for our tournaments with the walleyes, uh, it's it's a it's a catch and release photo photo deal. So the fish really don't get stressed very much. They're not put in live wells. They're really not handled too much. They get put on a on a board. They get measured. We take a trophy picture and we send them off. So normally a fish is out of the water less than a minute. So that that part's good. Uh, the trout definitely are a little more susceptible to that hot water and, and the warmer warmer waters. They definitely like the cold. So uh, even like at Alcova, you know, people are catching those trout down, you know, twenty-five to forty foot under the surface because that's where the cooler water is at.
0: So it's a, it's a wild time but a fun time. Make sure you get out and enjoy it. And if you need equipment, stop in here to Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. Hey there, it's Drew, and this week we're getting back into the mindset of tactical training. And Mike from Cutting Edge Tactics and Training is is here in studio. Earlier this past week, Mike, you and I went out to Stuckenhoff's, and you ran me through the ringer on a lot of basic tactics when it comes to not only. Uh, combat situations, but concealing carry and using that handgun. And and I appreciate you being back on the show. We had you just a couple of weeks. And uh, after being with you for a couple of hours, it, it really is informative.
2: Well, I thank you for having me back on. And it was awesome to head to the range with you and be able to kind of give you some of the basic courses and show you what we do here at Cutting Edge so you can inform your viewers more. But I, I love the you know, I love training people. And so anytime I get somebody out to the range, it's fantastic. It was great having you there. I love the fact that with just within just a short few hours, your shooting was improved. Your mindset is changing. You're, you're looking at things from a different perspective, which is really, you know, that that's what I want to do here. Not only train people, but also give them a tactical mindset so that should the need arise, they can step up to become the defender of their family and community, but they can also do it in a way where they're considering all different aspects and all different avenues instead of just like, Oh, I'm going to just pull my gun and shoot. And it's like, well, there's a lot more to it than that.
0: And really that should be your last resort. Your, your background. I mean, people think, Oh, you probably learned this on YouTube or whatever, but (laughs) you, you really have a, a military background. You're in the Marines for a number of years and really, you haven't stopped your training no. since, you know, <laughs> probably boot camp, right?
2: Yeah. And so, like you said, I joined the Marine Corps and uh, I was in the infantry, did two combat deployments in the Middle East and then did private security training and then private security afterwards. And then when I came out here, I started the company. And like you said, I still get training, right? So the company is called Cutting Edge for two reasons. One, it's a homage to... The unit I was in in the Marine Corps, which is 3rd Battalion, 7th Marines, and our nickname was the Cutting Edge. And also, it's because I want this company to be on the cutting edge of training and of tactics. That's why I am constantly seeking out training. So I'm always putting up my own money to go to training courses. So when I come back, I can give my students the very best training. And so I'm always bettering myself. And it's something I encourage you know my students to do is if you've come through one training course, great. Now do the next one. Push yourself. like, Because being a defender of your family and co- your community should the need arise, that takes years of training. In order to properly defend yourself, you need to be ready for it. And it's hard to do that if you go to the range once a month, right? And, and you're not actually seeking out training and getting any other training. And I think that through the conversations we had during the training, not just like, oh, here's how you properly hold the handgun, here's how you properly hold an AR, but also the mindset stuff we talked about during that training, I think is important because it opened your eyes a lot more to different aspects of, let's say, concealed carry versus open carry and firearm selection for, you know, whatever you're going to use it for.
0: One one thing that, that I notice a lot of times is you see the videos on online all the time of a good guy with a gun stopping a bad situation. Mm-hmm. Not all of those stoppages are done properly, and you could tell that the person uh probably hasn't ever done that before, but they had a gun, so they pulled it out. And things could have gone really wrong because yeah. they weren't trained properly. Mm-hmm. But then you watch the videos where maybe you have an ex police officer or a, a former military person that has that training, where they do everything right. They uh, uh, approach and address the you know the perpetrator properly, and you know with what we learned yesterday in just that couple of hours, I feel more confident that. I would have a better understanding going into that situation.
2: Yeah, and and I agree with you like there's something to be said for if you are going to choose to carry a firearm and you know again in case the situation arises where you need to defend yourself, I would advocate you are properly trained for that and you understand the consequences of that situation and you know what you're doing. Because out here in, in the US like man, if you're going to pull a weapon to defend yourself, you better know how to use it because not only are you putting yourself in danger, but there are other people around in those situations sometimes. And you want to make sure that if you are going to defend yourself, you're doing it in a responsible manner where you're not putting the lives of other people on the line. And again, when you look at you know videos like you were talking about, Some of the stuff I've seen, like on on both sides, it's scary, right? Like I've seen videos of active shooters who are now trained and it looks like that they've had actual training. And so when they go into these schools or these markets, it's like, man, that's an actual threat. That's not just some guy who went unhinged and just had no training and went in and just blasted up the place, but actually was trained and it's like, man, if there are threats out there that are getting training, how good do you have to be? How much training should you go through to overcome that? Again, should the need arise? And unfortunately, that's just kind of the reality of the crazy world we live in nowadays. And so, if you are going to step into that role of possibly, you know, protecting yourself or your your loved ones, right? Because I got I got a family, I got a wife, I got kids. I want to make sure that. You know, if anything ever happened, I'm there to make sure that they come out alive and unscathed. And I cannot do that if I'm not properly trained, like you said.
0: So Wyoming is not a concealing carry uh, permit state any longer. Up until 2021, it was. We're a constitutional carry state, correct. So that means that you're not required to have any training or license to carry in Wyoming. And that's great because that's, you know, one of our uh you know second amendment freedoms yep and one of the things that we kind of talked about yesterday is even though you don't need a conceal and carry if you were going to go outside of the state or if you were going to open carry you still need to know exactly what to do and and how to uh, use your firearm and, mm-hmm. and just because you don't have to have a permit doesn't mean that a little training doesn't go a long way well yeah absolutely And uh, yeah, you're right. As far as the constitutional carry of the state, if you
2: look at the law, which I believe is 6-8-104, because I do this when I do my concealed carry classes, I go through the legal aspect too. um, We're not required to have a permit in the state to either open or conceal carry, but I advocate people get the license just for the fact that I know a lot of us go out of state, right? We got the Dakotas right next door, Colorado, Montana, and those states do honor... Uh, Wyoming's concealed carry permit, so that's not a bad idea, but I 100% agree with you. The fact that we have the right to carry a firearm in Wyoming to defend ourselves and our community is freaking awesome that the state recognizes that constitutional right. And I would suggest that with that right also comes the responsibility to know how to properly use it and properly and safely employ it should the need ever arise. And so I do advocate for training because, again, if you're going to use a firearm to defend yourself, there is so much that can go wrong, and you want to do everything you can and be as prepared as possible to mitigate any negative outcome. And so I highly advocate people get training. And I think that, you know, from a personal standpoint – I think the founders understood that when they wrote the Second Amendment, that that was a time where everybody had guns in their home. People were growing up with them, familiar with them. They used them all the time for hunting, for self-defense, for whatever. That was not uncommon. But what was also common during that time was people knowing what to do and knowing how to you know, use them. And I think that if people are going to really respect that right, they should be responsible in it
0: and be trained up. When you um, go into a, a class, a new class, you don't really know a lot of the people all the, a lot of the times. You and I had, had met. We've talked and, and everything prior, so we kind of knew each other. But mm-hmm. when people come in, how do you get to know what they know and really feel the the clients out? Because, you know, some you may need to finesse this way and some may need a little more info this way. Right. So when I teach people— I start off with running them
2: through the basics and kind of get an idea from there, like where they're at with their shooting capability. And then through the course, through teaching them shooting, if they're doing really well and they pick some skills up really quick, great. I'll pick up the pace a little bit, but there are some people who just need more time and that's perfectly fine, right? Like I'm there to make people confident with their firearm. And so if that takes a little bit more time working on some of the basic skills, that's absolutely fine. We'll do that and through discussion of some of the tactical aspects that we've talked about you know during the training i get an idea of where they are and maybe they have some you know preconceived notions that are wrong through like you said youtube videos or or yeah. tv shows or hollywood that they've watched and i'm able to basically you know give them some real life experience and be like hey like maybe change your outlook a little bit because i want people not just to be good at the skill of shooting, but also that tactical mindset. And in the Foundation of Victory course, which I would call my beginner's course, uh, which I kind of put you through the other day, you started to get a taste of that, that introduction to a tactical mindset, right, in some of the things we talked about. And I think it's things that, you know, I know you were like you were learning and there are some considerations that you hadn't even thought of that I'm able to bring to the table to really open people's eyes to what happens in a
0: gunfight. And that's where cutting edge comes in a mm-hmm. lot. You having that military background where they are uh, teaching anyone that goes into the military now the new tactics right. that you picked up then. And the one of the first things was when we were shooting the AR, you know, I got in the, the stance that normally would get in if I was going to shoot a rifle. And you're like, no, that's not how, you know, th- we progressed a little further. In, right. And things now and that's what you're going to learn
2: yeah and that's something i have found out here in wyoming right is uh, i've talked to a lot of people who are telling me like oh well my grandfather was a seal in vietnam and and he taught me everything he knows and that's great and there are some things in the shooting world that that don't change like the fundamentals of marksmanship like trigger control sight alignment sight picture those things don't really change but like you said, the way we stand, the way we hold rifles is different now. The way we bring up our rifle into our shoulder, uh, there are just new things out there that I think could benefit a lot of people. And, you know, that that's just kind of the nature of the beast, right? With anything like we were talking earlier about uh, radio that you've been in for a while and you've seen the changes yeah. in radio. And just like the firearms industry, like things change and there's always room for improvement and for new tactics, that people should be willing to try and willing to learn. And, you know, with the with the stance, right, like you had your elbow out when we were shooting, more of a traditional marksmanship stance when people were standing basically, uh, you know, offline to the side. And that does provide a very stable shooting platform if you're going to go hunting or do some long-range precision shots. But it's not really conducive to a combat, moving and shooting, taking cover uh, kind of firefight. And like you said, um With the military experience, I, you know, bring a lot of that to the team training I do because I do small unit tactics. But also my time doing private security allows me to speak to the situations in the US because it's way different being in a combat zone overseas and then working within the US and having to deal with different rules of engagement, if you will, and all the laws we have here that you need to know. If you are going to defend yourself, you need to know that stuff. And I do go over that in my concealed carry course.
0: I I think that, you know, people uh, need to have a little bit of training or knowledge about this. You know, over the years, we've had situations in schools and office buildings where, uh, you know, tragedy has come about there. Uh, But there were a lot of businesses that have now started offering these trainings, like you just said, the, the small security trainings or whatever, mm-hmm. and knowing exactly what to do in a situation like that and not being afraid of the situation or the firearm that you're carrying because uh, confidence in that firearm is one of the yeah. the important parts yeah. of it.
2: And, and one thing I talk about with my students, and I, I talked with you about this when we went out to the range, is when you get into a stressful situation, you you revert back to the skill you last mastered, not the one you last learned. And so if I tell all my people, <laughs> if you take one course from me, and then you don't go home, and you don't train on your own, you're not going to master that skill. So if something happens, you're going to revert back to just whipping your sidearm out and just shooting blindly because you're not training enough to actually, you know, tell your body, hey, in a stressful situation, this is what we do, right? We want to build that muscle memory for lack of a better term, right? And we want to do enough training where that just becomes instinct right like I don't have to think about how to reload my handgun anymore but that took years of running drills and loading it and reloading it and all that stuff to get it down to where it is muscle memory and for some people they think that should that need ever arise they're just going to step up to the occasion and unfortunately that's not really the case if you don't have training and I've seen that firsthand you know, on one of my deployments, I remember we had a guy who his weapon went down. He had a you know pretty bad jam in the middle of, a, of an engagement and he didn't train it enough. And so somebody else had to run over there and clear his weapon in the middle of an engagement. Oh, man. And it's like, man, that you just took yourself out of the fight because you didn't train enough to overcome that when the when it hit the fan and the stress came over you. And man, that that can happen to anybody you know and so the best thing we can do to prepare is to train more train hard and continue to practice it because if you are going to step into that role of protecting yourself your family or your community should the need ever arise man you you got to be ready to do that and you have to train hard in order to bring yourself to a level where you can come out successful and you can keep your loved ones safe
0: so mike and i spend just a couple of hours together but he offers multiple levels of training even the conceal and carry, which we mentioned you don't need in Wyoming, but you do need in, in other states, mm-hmm. and it's a great to great to have also uh, team training, and you've also got that one-on-one kind of tactical training and just firearms training. So yep. uh, I encourage you to go check out the C-E-T-T-W-Y.com, which is uh, the uh, cutting-edge tactics and training uh, is broke down right there. But, Micah, again, I appreciate you spending time with me this week, giving me some knowledge, giving me things to work on, and and, uh, and then coming on the show to, to spread the word. Yeah, well, I thank
2: you for having me on. It's a great opportunity to you know expand the business, and really my heart behind it is I want people to be prepared. I want people to stay safe, and I want them to be able to defend themselves. I was looking the other day, and, man, the average police response time across the country is anywhere from – three to 10 minutes. And guess what? Most violent encounters are done within seconds. Right, And so y- you don't have time sometimes, you know, like who are we going to rely on to defend ourselves? Well, it's, it's gotta be you. And so if that's something you care about, I would encourage you seek out training, you know, come to cutting edge tactics and train, take a course. We're running one, August 26th at Stuckenhoff, I'm putting on a Foundation of Victory course, an extended one. So that's just going to be four hours of really getting you into the saddle. You learn the fundamentals. We're going to drill those basics hard, and we're going to be brilliant in the basics. And I think that's a great first step for people who are learning. And also for people who have been shooting forever, man, take the course. Learn some new things. Fine-tune some of those skills. I still go to training courses that people would consider basic because I understand the value of that. And so, yeah, again, thank you for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity um, to share what I'm doing and hopefully, you know, we can get some more people trained up and we can just live in a safer community.
0: Go check them out. C E T T W com.
2: Wyoming Hookin' and Huntin' Outdoors with Drew Kirby. If you have a question,
0: want to make a comment, or have an idea for a show topic, message us on the My Country mobile app. Wyoming Hookin' and hunting Outdoors.